Sisyphus, a name that echoed through the corridors of ancient Greek mythology, a character entwined in the tapestry of divine trickery, cunning, and eternal punishment. He was not merely a king, but a figure whose life and actions left an indelible mark on the realm of gods and mortals alike. Sisyphus, born the son of Aeolus and Enaret, emerged from the heartland of Thessaly. Aeolus, a king in his own right, was the progenitor of the Aeolian people. From his lineage, Sisyphus inherited not just a royal bloodline, but also a cleverness that would become both his boon and bane. Sisyphus was not alone in his family. He had eleven siblings in total. Athamas, Salmoneus, Cretheus, Perrier, Dionysus, Magnus, Calice, Canasse, Alcyone, Pisidice, and Perimede. Among his siblings, one stood out prominently, Salmoneus. These brothers, Sisyphus and Salmoneus, would each carve their own tales in the annals of Greek mythology. But it was Sisyphus whose story was destined for greater heights, or perhaps, greater depths. As Sisyphus matured into a young man, his ambitions extended beyond the borders of Thessaly, the land of his birth. He hungered for power and sought to establish his own kingdom. Venturing far from his homeland, he embarked on a journey that would see the birth of a city, a city that would one day rise to prominence under a different name, Corinth. This new city was named Ephira, and it owed its prosperity not just to Sisyphus's royal lineage, but also to his exceptional intellect. Ephira's strategic location and the blessings of the nearby Oceanid nymphs, who ensured a bountiful water supply, contributed to its early success. Under the rule of Sisyphus, Ephira quickly blossomed into a thriving hub of commerce and culture. The clever king harnessed his keen intellect to establish trade routes that spanned the expanse of Greece, connecting his city with distant lands. Ephira became a center for merchants and travelers, attracting people from far and wide who sought to partake in its prosperity. However, beneath the veneer of this burgeoning city-state lay a darker truth. Sisyphus, despite his intelligence and the city's prosperity, harbored a malevolent streak. The palace, once a beacon of splendor and a place of welcome for guests, had now metamorphosed into a chamber steeped in fear and trepidation. Many who dared to cross the threshold of this foreboding edifice would meet untimely and gruesome ends, becoming unwitting victims of the king's boundless ruthlessness and cruelty. It was within these very walls that Sisyphus's darker nature found expression, forever staining his legacy with the suffering he inflicted upon those who entered his malevolent domain. Sisyphus's reign in Ephira was marked by a series of disturbing events, dark tales whispered in hushed tones by the city's inhabitants. Some visitors vanished without a trace, their fate sealed by the maleficent designs of their host. Others experienced a hospitality that veiled the ominous undercurrents of the palace, only to be ensnared in its sinister web. Sisyphus's transformation from a ruler of promise and ambition into a tyrant of malevolence was a tragedy in itself. The very qualities that had initially propelled him to greatness, his intellect, resourcefulness, and audacity, had been twisted into tools of darkness used to further his cruel desires and maintain his grip on power. With cunning and guile, Sisyphus later found himself embroiled in a tangled web of theft and retribution, a tale of wits pitted against supernatural prowess. His adversary was none other than his neighbor, the legendary thief Autolycus, whose parentage bestowed upon him an extraordinary gift, one that would make him the scourge of Sisyphus's cattle. Autolycus was the son of Hermes, 
the herald of the gods known for his swiftness and cunning. Yet Autolycus possessed a unique talent, a divine inheritance from his father. He had the ability to change the color of objects at will, a supernatural power that enabled him to steal cattle from Sisyphus's herd with consummate ease. Each stolen animal underwent a magical transformation, their colors altered to evade detection as they merged seamlessly into Autolycus's own flock. As the days passed, the size of Sisyphus's once thriving herd dwindled while Autolycus's flock prospered. The clever king's suspicions grew, and he knew that it was time to put his own resourcefulness to the test. With an audacious plan in mind, Sisyphus sought to unmask the thief and put an end to the relentless pilfering of his cattle. Sisyphus, with meticulous attention to detail, etched identifying marks into the hooves of his remaining cattle. This ingenious move rendered the color-shifting magic of Autolycus utterly futile. No longer could the stolen beast hide their true origins. The next time a wave of cattle disappeared from Sisyphus's herd, he was prepared to confront the audacious thief head-on. Leading his armed retinue, he stormed into Autolycus's domain, determined to reclaim his stolen property and exact retribution for the losses he had suffered. Although the stolen cattle bore the mesmerizing effects of Autolycus's color-changing magic, Sisyphus was not easily deceived. He inspected the hooves of each animal, revealing their true lineage and ownership. The clever king had devised a scheme that turned the tables on the crafty thief. Retribution came swiftly, but the circumstances surrounding it would forever cloud the legacy of Sisyphus. In his relentless pursuit of vengeance, Sisyphus abducted Autolycus's daughter Anticlea and defiled her autonomy, a heinous act that added a dark stain to his already tarnished reputation. Anticlea, later in her life, found solace in the arms of Laertes, and from their union, a son was born, Odysseus. However, the timing of Odysseus's birth led some to speculate that Sisyphus, not Laertes, was the true father. The circumstances hinted at a darker truth, suggesting that Sisyphus had not married Anticlea, but had instead taken her forcibly. Yet Sisyphus's familial entanglements did not end there. He also wed Tyro, the daughter of his own brother, Salmoneus. This marriage, shrouded in bitterness, arose from Sisyphus's deep-seated animosity towards Salmoneus. A chilling prophecy whispered in Sisyphus's ears foretold that any offspring from this union would bring death to his brother. Tyro, fulfilling her role as a tragic pawn in this family drama, bore two sons for Sisyphus. However, when she discovered the prophecy, fear consumed her heart. In a desperate bid to thwart fate, she killed her own sons, ensuring they could never harm her father, Salmoneus. This gruesome act did little to stop Salmoneus's death, for Zeus had been watching him. Salmoneus was an overbearing and impious man who was hated by his subjects. He ordered them to worship him as if he too were a god. Zeus ultimately struck down Salmoneus for his impiety. The third woman to be intertwined with Sisyphus was Merope, one of the seven Pleiades. The Pleiades were seven mountain nymphs and daughters of the Titan Atlas. Sisyphus, in a union with Merope, fathered four children, Almus, Glaucus, Orintion, and Thersander. Glaucus, in particular, would go on to become famous as the father of the hero Bellerophon. Surprisingly, it was Orintion, not Glaucus, who would ascend the throne of Corinth after Sisyphus. Merope's dim presence among the Pleiades, a cluster of stars, was said to symbolize her shame for having married a mortal, or perhaps for the crimes committed by her husband, 
As the dimmest of the Seven Sisters, her celestial glow mirrored the shadow cast by Sisyphus's transgressions. The list of Sisyphus's transgressions against both mortals and gods was becoming increasingly extensive, but it was his audacious interference in divine affairs that first thrust him into the glaring spotlight of the gods, with none other than Zeus himself taking note. Sisyphus was a man of insatiable curiosity, his intellect a ceaseless engine hungry for knowledge. This hunger led him to meticulously track the movements and activities of the gods, delving deep into the heart of their most clandestine affairs. Among the secrets he unearthed was the illicit abduction of the naiad nymph Aegina by none other than Zeus, the formidable ruler of Olympus. The fate of Aegina, a cherished daughter of the river god Asopus, and under his vigilant guardianship, had been a mystery shrouded in obscurity. Yet Sisyphus, armed with his relentless quest for knowledge and an audacious spirit, uncovered the truth. He revealed that Zeus had spirited the nymph away to the remote and secluded island of Unoni, where she was hidden from the world. Asopus was both a river god and a protector of his daughter's well-being. Upon discovering the disappearance of his beloved child, he was consumed by grief and fury. Desperate to find Aegina, he launched a frantic and relentless search, his heart heavy with the anguish of a father robbed of his daughter's presence. It was Sisyphus, however, who would emerge as the key figure in the unfolding drama. With a brazen candor that seemed to defy the very gods themselves, he dared to reveal the concealed whereabouts of Aegina to her aggrieved father. The audacity of his actions, driven by an insatiable thirst for knowledge and a fearlessness unmatched by mortals, cast a bright spotlight on him, a spotlight that Zeus, the lord of Olympus, could not ignore. Zeus, reigning supreme among the Olympian deities, was not one to tolerate mortal meddling in his divine escapades. Enraged by Sisyphus's audacious revelation of his covert actions, Zeus reached a thunderous verdict, a decree that would shake the mortal realm to its core. The lord of Olympus declared that the life of the audacious king, Sisyphus, was now forfeit, setting in motion a series of events that would shape the destiny of this cunning and relentless mortal in ways he could never have foreseen. Zeus called upon Thanatos, the very embodiment of death. His role was clear, to descend upon Corinth, where Sisyphus resided, and escort the cunning king to the somber realms of the underworld. When Thanatos arrived in Corinth, he brought with him chains, formidable restraints that were meant to bind Sisyphus and lead him into the afterlife, where his eternal punishment awaited. Sisyphus, with a sly glint in his eye, and a mind that never ceased to strategize, posed a seemingly simple yet deceptively clever question to the divine visitor. How should these chains be worn? His query was laced with a hint of innocence, concealing his true intentions beneath a veneer of curiosity. Without pausing for reflection, Thanatos, confident in his divine authority, decided to demonstrate the proper way to wear the chains. In a moment that would resonate through the ages, he willingly donned the very restraints meant for Sisyphus. It was a fateful decision that would forever alter the course of this divine encounter. In that instant, the tables turned, and the god of death found himself ensnared by the very chains he had brought to bind a mortal. The cunning king had outwitted a deity, a feat that defied the natural order and sent shockwaves through the divine realm. With a triumphant smirk, Sisyphus seized the opportunity to escape the clutches of death and returned to his palace as a free man once more.
He reveled in his audacious victory, celebrating not only his cleverness, but also his defiance of the gods themselves. It was a moment of unparalleled triumph, a testament to the indomitable spirit of mortals who dared to challenge the divine. The disruption caused by Sisyphus's audacious act of chaining Thanatos was nothing short of cataclysmic in the divine realm. One deity in particular found himself profoundly affected by this disruption. Ares, the fearsome Greek god of war. Ares was not a god known for his benevolence or compassion. Instead, he reveled in the chaos and carnage of battle, finding his divine purpose in the clash of swords, the cries of warriors, and the release of souls into the afterlife. War was not just his domain, it was his essence, the very core of his being. However, the world had been plunged into an unprecedented state of disarray. With Thanatos bound by Sisyphus's cunning, death had become a distant memory. Mortals continued to wage wars and engage in battles, but the absence of death cast a long, eerie shadow over their martial endeavors. Soldiers who should have met their end on blood-soaked battlefields were left wounded, broken, and unendingly trapped in a nightmarish cycle of agony. Ares, the war god, could not stand idly by in the face of such chaos. He saw his once-beloved battlefield transformed into a grotesque theater of eternal suffering, devoid of the sweet release of death. Ares took matters into his own hands and journeyed to Corinth to liberate Thanatos, the earth trembled beneath his footsteps as he approached Corinth. As Ares confronted the scene, Thanatos, the once inevitable harbinger of death, remained shackled and powerless. With a godly fury burning in his eyes, Ares unleashed his unparalleled strength, shattering the chains that held the god of death captive. As the chains fell away, the balance between life and death was tentatively restored. Mortals would once again find solace in the natural order, where battles could be waged with the knowledge that, ultimately, death awaited all warriors. Ares had fulfilled his divine duty, ensuring that the art of war would regain its meaning and purpose. The gods, with their inscrutable designs, were not finished with Sisyphus. His punishment for defying the natural order, for outwitting the very embodiment of death, was far from complete. Sisyphus, ever the wily strategist, had anticipated the arrival of gods seeking to rectify the imbalance he had wrought. He had woven an elaborate plan to defy death once more. The king had shared his cunning scheme with his wife, Merope. He instructed that upon his death, no burial rites were to be performed, and his body was not to be interred. Thanatos would eventually locate Sisyphus and escorted him directly to the realm of Hades without the customary rites. When the moment of his demise arrived, Thanatos duly complied. He led Sisyphus across the river Acheron, bypassing the need to pay Charon, the ferryman of souls. The king found himself within the somber palace of Hades, awaiting judgment. Sisyphus, however, had no intention of meekly awaiting the pronouncement of the judges of the dead. Instead, he devised a bold gambit. With fearless resolve, he sought an audience with Persephone, the queen of the underworld. In the presence of the goddess, Sisyphus pleaded his case, he argued that he must return to Corinth to scold his wife for failing to provide him with a proper burial. A flimsy pretext, but one that Persephone entertained. Her empathy, perhaps swayed by his audacity, led her to grant Sisyphus a temporary reprieve. Sisyphus was allowed to return to the mortal realm, his body and soul reunited once more. But as the gods were to discover, 
his intentions were far from the promised funeral arrangements. Zeus, his divine wrath stoked by Sisyphus's unyielding defiance, knew that a punishment of extraordinary magnitude was required to match the audacity of the cunning king. The lord of Olympus sought counsel from his favored son Hermes, the fleet-footed messenger of the gods. Hermes, the bearer of Zeus's divine judgment, descended from the celestial heights to the earthly realm, specifically to Corinth, the heart of Sisyphus's kingdom. He was the harbinger of the impending divine retribution that would finally bind Sisyphus to the underworld for all eternity. The punishment devised for Sisyphus was an intricate tapestry of poetic justice and ceaseless torment, designed to embody the futility of his actions and the never-ending nature of his relentless cunning. Each day in the somber depths of the underworld, Sisyphus was condemned to an arduous and seemingly impossible task. His laborious duty consisted of rolling an enormous boulder up a steep and unforgiving hill. The ultimate goal was to reach the summit, where the punishment would, in theory, conclude. Yet the cruelty of this divine sentence lay in its relentless repetition. Just as Sisyphus neared the elusive peak of the hill, his strength waning but determination unbroken, the massive boulder with a cruel inevitability would slip from his weary grasp. The colossal stone, freed from his control, would plummet downward in a heart-wrenching descent, rolling and tumbling all the way to the base of the hill. It was there at the bottom that the boulder would rest, mocking Sisyphus with its presence and setting the stage for the eternal cycle to begin anew. Sisyphus, a man once celebrated for his boundless intellect and cunning, was now eternally bound to a task that ruthlessly mocked his very essence. His punishment, a symbol of the inexorable grip of fate, and the dire consequences of audacious defiance in both the mortal and divine realms was a relentless reminder of the price one paid for challenging the authority of the gods. And so, for all of eternity, Sisyphus toiled in the shadowy depths of the underworld, his existence defined by the perpetual cycle of pushing the massive burden up the hill, only to witness it slip away, an eternal torment that echoed the depths of his cleverness and the consequences of his unyielding defiance against the divine order itself.